everybody to Colorado. This is uh, honestly, September in Colorado is really hard to beat. And uh, I'm so glad that you came. I was thinking, uh, uh, you know, this is a season in a lot of churches where uh, budget constraints really don't allow us to go to any and every conference around the country like maybe, maybe we could in years past. So I want you to know we take it so seriously that you're here, that you've invested your time here, that you've traveled here, that you've driven here, however you got here. This is a big deal to us that you're here among us. And so we want to make this super valuable for you. And we're so we're glad. Welcome to New Life Church. This is, a, for those of you who don't know, this is a part of a building where the church really exploded in growth. So this part of the building was built back in the early 90s. And the church just exploded in this room. And then about 10 years ago, we built a larger sanctuary over to our left over here down the hallway. You can go take a look at that later. But this is where the church really exploded. There's a lot of history in this room a lot of memories in this room, a lot of prayer, a lot of salvations, baptism. This is where we have our Friday night congregation now. Pastor Daniel Grothy leads a Friday night congregation for us in this room every week. And uh, we're so grateful that you're here, okay? I want you to open up your Bible this morning to two places, Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 5. Matthew 11 and uh, Luke chapter 5. Now, I am going to share this morning out of a book that I just wrote called Addicted to Busy, but I'm going to share mainly about the life of Jesus, and I'm going to talk this morning about the Jesus rhythm. That's one of the kind of the subtitle of our conference this week is the rhythm. I, I'm going to share this morning, I, I, I believe two things. I don't think you should preach sermons, write blogs, or write books necessarily out of pain that has not been somewhat healed. In other words, when I wrote this, I actually wanted to write this book several years ago, and the Lord said, when you start living it, I'll let you write it. And that was, that was really encouraging from the Lord. And uh, so I, 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 what I'm, I'm going to share this morning is deeply personal. But I think it's one of, I cannot think of many more topics that are more critical right now and for the life of a leader whether you're on staff or not, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're leading a congregation as a senior pastor, or you're leading the congregation as a part of the worship team, this topic that I'm going to cover this morning can save your life. And I mean that. I mean that sincerely. In fact, it was a few years ago, uh, I, it was about this time, on this day actually, about three years ago, I was in my office, my phone rang, and on the other end of the line was a staff member of a high-profile pastor who you would, most of you would know. And this staff member was telling me uh, with great sadness that his friend and pastor had just admitted to a moral failure and, and the church was in disarray. I mean, he was broken on the other end of the line. And I was so sad to hear it. This is a man that uh, the pastor, the senior pastor, was somebody I knew, I admired. Uh, I, both, I knew him personally, I knew him from a distance. But this staff member began to tell me um, what was going on in the private life of this leader. And it did not surprise me when he said, Pastor, this guy is so talented, but he has been on a perpetual roller coaster ride for 20 plus years. And we have been so desperate to get him off this frantic, chaotic life and rhythm that he's in, but none of us could stop the roller coaster ride. The more success he had led to more success, to more success. And suddenly we looked up and we were on this perpetual Disney roller coaster ride that nobody could make it stop until there was a crash. And it's crashed. And this guy now has wrecked his reputation. 
good news is he has gone through a great restoration process. This guy is back ministering in a healthy way. But he would tell you, and I'll, I'll have him back. I want him to come share this story himself someday. He would tell you that the reason that he, that he fell was because he did not know how to slow down. Now, I'm assuming this morning that you're here at a leadership conference because you're not lazy. I mean, this is an investment of your time. This is something you're invested in. You are eager to grow as a leader. You're eager to multiply yourself as whatever capacity or calling you have on your life. So I'm assuming that most of us in here have a drive, a call, an ambition that's holy, that we want to expand, we want to multiply, we want to grow, and none of those things are wrong. I did not write Addicted to Busy as an excuse to be unproductive. I, in fact... I don't think that we are forsaking our responsibilities when we rest. I think it's for the sake of our calling and for the sake of our responsibilities that we choose the Jesus rhythm of life. So I'm gonna make a really bold claim as a senior pastor. I've been pastoring now for about 20 years and I have found something to be true. I'm gonna say it to the strength that I feel it. So this is a, a fairly bold claim, okay? I'm gonna read it to you. Uh, because I want, to, I want you to really catch this as we enter into this short time today of talking about this. I'm hoping that this message this morning leads to some great conversations in these next few days with you and your team. But I believe this strongly that most of our problems, most of our problems, a great many of them, are either caused or made worse because we're moving too fast for too long. An unhealthy pace, I believe, in ministry, an unhealthy pace is one of the greatest threats that we have to a healthy life in ministry. It's true. If we were all very super honest in the room this morning, most of the marriage problems, lack of intimacy, lack of friendship, uh, sexual unhealth that's happening in ministry marriages is because we are running past one another with very chaotic schedules. I mean, it's hard to have healthy marriage when you are meeting together basically for management oversight of your schedule and not to have intimate conversations. Let me ask all the married people in the room this morning a troubling question, a question that I want you to be honest with one another about later on. Or don't talk right now, but this is gonna, it's gonna lead to a lot of conversation, I promise you. It led to a lot of conversation at my house when I asked this question. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Married couples, those of you who wanna be married, Maybe you're in a serious dating relationship. When was the last time you and your spouse had an unhurried conversation with one another? Where there was not pressure to end the conversation because of another schedule thing that was happening, something on your schedule. I expected the room to get kind of quiet there. Because <laughs> that's truly what's happening in most of our marriages. Where we don't have space and time to have unhurried conversations. And then we wonder why... There's a lack of intimacy and romance in our marriages. Well, intimacy and romance happens when we're looking each other in the eye and talking about something other than just scheduling conflicts happening in the week ahead, which is what most of our date nights have become. They've become management meetings over a meal. <laughs> and, and, and we think about money. I mean, most of us are in charge of some kind of budget at our church. Most of the money mistakes that we're making, a lot of the budgetary mishaps that we're making are because we get in a hurry. 
We don't stop and pause and ask for wise counsel, so we rush into money and management meetings and make mistakes, both personally and in our churches, because we get in a hurry. We feel the pressure, and so we do something, and then we regret it later. All of us have those stories in this room. And I've found that the loneliest people on the planet right now are probably pastors, because friendships take time, especially among men and women. When you, we all need, as a married man, I need fathers and brothers and sons to hang out with. I need that in my life, to be a healthy human being. I need men who are further along in their walk with God. I need men who are walking in the same, in the same realm of life. And I need young guys that I can you know, invest in and be a part of their lives. But all of that takes time, which is a precious commodity that I can't, I can't increase it. I have the same amount that you have. And so the way we see time, the way we see investment, it will determine if we're healthy or not. And so this is a big topic that I'm going to talk about this morning. So if all of us in the room know that chaos and schedule can be problematic, why is it that we do not pay more attention to schedule and time? I think there's two big reasons, all right? And these are going to be, uh, I, I know these to be true about myself, that I'm wrestling through these two things myself. Number one, here's a, here's a statement. If I'm if I'm busy, I'm important. Now, you know, think about this, uh, how much of our, uh, our ego gets involved when we're talking about what's coming up in our lives. Because if I were to tell you my schedule, I could really impress you with things that are coming up, you know, like things I got planned, things I'm, places I'm going, people I'm meeting, places that I'm doing. And all of us can fall into this trap of feeling like that if I'm not busy, if every second is not accounted for, then somehow I'm missing out, I'm behind the curve, I'm walking, I'm, I'm not as important as I want people to think I am. And Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Vine and all the social media platforms are calling us into this unhealthy thing where we're always promoting what we're doing because we want people to believe that we have reached a level of importance and importance equals busy schedules. Busy schedule equals importance. But here's another one. Here's a, this is a much deeper issue that I've uncovered as I've tackled this topic with people. And it, it happened with a married couple in my room, in my office. We were talking and they were, they were really wrestling in their marriage, having a lot of trouble in their marriage. And the woman looked at me and said, I'll tell you what she said. I wrote it down because I didn't want to ever forget it. She says, if I slow down, Pastor Brady, I'll have to be honest with what's really happening in my life. So I keep this chaotic pace as a way to medicate myself, as a way to give myself a built-in excuse not to have to deal with the real issues in my heart because I can, I can say I'm just too busy. She saw I get up early in the morning and she told me this, this is hilarious. Like she found this thing on Pinterest where you could put little personal tattoos on the banana peel in your kid's lunchbox. This is how insanely busy this super mom was. She had time, she woke up early so she could put little personalized tattoos on the banana pills so that when her kids opened their lunchbox at school that day, they would have a little personalized banana peel tattoo. She says, I'm, I am literally, every second of my day is consumed with activity because if I ever stop and lean into God, God's not gonna be mean to me, but God will be honest to me. And I don't want that kind of conversation with God because I know what the conversation's gonna sound like. I've gotta get better. 
I've got to deal with this hurt, this wound in my heart. So in, in, a, in a, the way I just don't deal with it, I just push it aside. And I stay really busy. I put tattoos on banana pills for my kids' lunch boxes so that I don't have to stop and have a 10-minute conversation with the Holy Spirit that I don't want to have. That's what she said to me. It's true. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 11 because Jesus deals with this. Jesus, it's fascinating to me that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to a world that was super chaotic. I mean, Roman domination being ruled by an evil empire has a way of creating a bit of stress in your life. So Jesus came to a stressed out world. We kind of imagine Jesus just floating around having, you know, fish dinners with his people, with his guys on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and all was well. Let's go fishing, guys. No, let's not go fishing. Let's just have a fire and talk. That's not the world that Jesus came into. Jesus came into a world where there was a 90% tax rate on the people that were working and a fear that if you said something wrong, you were going to be beaten to within an inch of your life or worse yet, if you were seen as a real problem, you could be crucified in public, hung naked on a tree. So, I mean, this is a kind of a stressed out world that Jesus came into. And so he says this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. Now, I want you to stop just for a minute, and I want you to think of all the options we have to unwind. In fact, if I were to ask you if we had a couple hours here, if I said, write down all the options. Like, when you know it's time to rest, think about all the options you have, we have together. We have so many options right now to disconnect, Right? So Jesus makes us this three-word invitation, come to me. I want to be at the top of your list. When you know that it's time to rest, when you know it's time to engage, would you please put me at the top of your list as options? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Now Jesus makes us this fascinating promise, I will give you rest. Now, I don't know if Disney can make that promise. I don't know if Netflix can make us that promise. I don't think YouTube can make us that promise. I don't think alcohol or legalized marijuana can make us that promise. But let me tell you something. Jesus made us a pretty powerful promise here. I will give you rest. I'll give it to you if you want it. Or you can go and spend your life seeking it in other places. And not everything I said on that list is a bad thing. I'm just telling you that the option, that needs to be weighed down on our list on options when we know we need rest. What are you drawn to when you know you have to disconnect? And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, which is everyone in pastoral ministry, and I'll give you rest. <laughs> this is, you, by the way, you know why we don't start the conference on Monday? Because we're all insane on Monday. <laughs> I couldn't, do, we did it one year. I was like, this is the worst. I don't even like anybody in the room. I don't like myself. <laughs> Tuesday mornings, it's a miracle happens in our lives on Tuesday morning. Y'all are awesome. I love you. I didn't want to be around you yesterday, though. I'm glad to be here today. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now listen to what he says here. Learn from me. Now how do we learn from someone? Okay, let's think about mentors, okay? Just, Jesus says, learn from me. So we pay attention. The way I learn from people is I pay attention to what they say, but more importantly, what they do. That's the way I learn from people. I do. I, I listen to people. I'm a listener. I think it's one of my strengths as a leader. I, people ask me, what's your strength? I pay attention. That's really the, how I learn. I pay attention. Because I'm not a scholar. No one's ever accused me of that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm really not that smart, but I'm super curious. Which over, it helps me appear smart because I'm really curious. 
I pay attention. So Jesus says, learn from me. So I learn from people by watching what, watching what they do and listening to what they say. So Jesus gives us that invitation. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And now he repeats the promise, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the way I teach my congregation. When Jesus makes us a promise, we, our ears should be alert. We should lean in to anything Jesus says to us, especially as a, pr a promise that he makes to us. But when Jesus repeats the promise, he's yelling at us. Learn from me. I will give you rest. And if you didn't hear it the first time, you will find rest for your souls. And verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is pleading with us. It's almost like a friend saying, listen, I see where you are in your life. And it's a friend pulling us into something that's, he said, please listen to me. All right, let's go to Luke chapter five. Because I want to show you what Jesus did. I have never seen this until I, just a few months ago. And it's, I remember the Lord showing this, this to me in the scriptures so clearly. It's still changing my life today. Even as I speak it to you, I'm, I'm being changed by this story. In Luke chapter five, if you read Luke one, two, three, and four, and I quoted you know, Luke four today to you as we opened up this session together, Jesus has just been baptized. He goes into the wilderness and it says that after, as he came out of the wilderness that he was full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus is at the top of his popularity right now. This is where he is publicly the most popular. This is where people are leaning into everything. They are fascinated by Jesus. He has created more buzz than any of us can ever imagine for our own lives. Jesus is buzzworthy here. I mean, this is where you need to capitalize on, you're talking about momentum. This is Jesus at his biggest, most powerful public place of momentum. And yet the news about him, verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more. And this was before social media, right? Before web design. This guy, it was word of mouth. We all know as pastors, right? The best invitation to your church is by word of mouth. When someone invites you, this is what was happening. Everybody was talking about Jesus right now. Come hear this Nazarene who grew up in near Galilee and, and we don't even know who this guy is. And yet come listen to the words. He speaks as one with great authority, they would say. And he's putting his hands on lepers and they're being healed and he's crippled people that haven't walked for years are walking and people that are demonized are being set free. All these words, all these stories begin to spread like wildfire in a country that needed a lot of hope. And he was hope central at this point in his life. Here's Jesus. The news about him spread all the more so that, pay attention here, this is very important, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. All right, I want you to stop and really look at what I'm saying here, okay? This is, there are crowds of people, but, that's, but Luke adds something to the sentence here that's very important. And they had significant needs. I know what you're saying, because I, I, I know I've already heard it from many people. Was well, easy for a megachurch pastor with a lot of staff to talk about chilling out for a while. Well, listen, when I, my first pastoral calling was to a West Texas farm town that called Hereford, Texas. There were 50 people, 45 of them were over 80 years old. Not, well, 30, okay. 
30 of them were. A hundred year old church with 50 people. So they had a really, really successful growth rate going for them. They were losing two people a year on pace. They were on pace to lose two people a year. I was 31 years old, I was a senior pastor. I had a part-time secretary, assistant, who helped me print bulletins on Friday and answer the phone a couple of mornings a week. That was it, that was my staff. Someone told me the other day, hey, Pastor Brady, I know you must be really busy pastoring that big church. Now, let me tell you when I was the busiest I've ever been in my life. When I pastored a small church in a West Texas farm town with no staff, I was exhausted. This book was written because of my exhaustion. I know exactly what that feels like. I did every wedding, every funeral, every kid that got a snotty nose that was in an emergency room, I was there. I had to do all of that, all the counseling, all the events, everything. I know what that feels like. I, I know there are built-in excuses that all of us can imagine for not finding the Jesus rhythm. Jesus had a built-in excuse here to not withdraw. Crowds of people, and Luke says, and they, many of them needed healing from serious diseases. I mean, the urgency of the moment. Think about the urgency of the moment, right? Urgent matters right in front of me. Crowds of people, many of them needed healing right in front of you. That's a big deal. This does not seem like the time to withdraw. And yet Jesus is about to do something that feels very countercultural to all of us in the room. Look at verse 16, okay? It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, I want to take just a couple minutes here and show you this. Verse 16 wrecked me and changed my life. Wrecked me when I read this. I mean, it was almost like the Holy Spirit put my nose in the, the sand of the Bible and rubbed it there and like, get this. Do not run past what I just showed you. Crowds are leaning into him. Huge momentum Pastor Brady, I just planted a church. I can't take a Sunday off. Oh, okay. Well, Jesus did. <laughs> Pastor Brady, I got this thing going. I can't, I mean, I got more kids showing up at my youth group than ever before. I got, well, Jesus did. So that's between you and God, but I'm, I am a Jesus follower, not a culture follower. And I am, I am not going to let people cheer me right over the cliff of destruction by cheering me on through my successes. You can cheer me on all you want, but I'm going to disappear from time to time. You will not know where I am. My wife will, but you won't. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Number one, the first thing he says, it says he often withdrew. This was a rhythm of Jesus' life. This was something that did not surprise the disciples after a matter of time. In fact, they realized this, you know, Jesus is going to do this from time to time. He's going to withdraw. He's going to disappear on you. We don't know where he is. You know, the two times where, uh, you know, Jesus walked out onto the water to save Peter from a drowning boat and the other time when Jesus was asleep in the boat, both times Jesus was resting. In Matthew 11, you read the story where Jesus was up on a hillside praying and then a storm came on the boat. He had to walk out there and save him, but he was resting when it happened. The other story of the stormy seas, Jesus was sound asleep in the bottom of the boat. He was resting both times. So this was not unusual for the disciples to see Jesus resting. He often withdrew. 
So I'm going to give you four quick things today that I've found to be a healthy rhythm. If you're going to embrace this healthy Jesus rhythm of living your life, I want to give you four rhythms to consider, okay? One is, uh, and I'm going to tell you what, what the purpose of these rhythms are, okay? First one is Sabbaths. Sabbaths are for rest. This is the purpose of a Sabbath is for rest. There's other things, and, and, and the Sabbath, the idea of a Sabbath, we can unpack that for hours in here. But if you want to get to the bottom line about Sabbath, Sabbath is God's invitation to us to enter into his rest. It's Shabbat Shalom. May I be in the rest of God, and may God be present in my rest. May I be May be aware of the rest that God is offering me, and may God be present in my season of rest. Shabbat shalom. So Sabbaths are for rest. But Sabbaths are also a declaration, a prophetic proclamation. And as pastors and leaders of our congregations, we are called to have a prophetic imagination. Let me tell you what Sabbaths are saying to your congregation when we as leaders model this and use this. I wrote it down last night because it came to me. I wrote it down in the language that I really wanted. So I'm going to have this on the screen. Here's what I believe about Sabbath. By choosing Sabbath, we are protesting and rebelling against our innate desire to trust and worship our self-sufficiency. It is, it is a prophetic declaration to our church. It is, Sabbath is resistance to what the world demands from us, but what God is offering to us. God is offering me this rest. The world says, if you want to be successful, dive in, work, work, work. And I do work. But on the Sabbath, I stand aside from my work and I say, I rebel against what the world tells me. When God has offered me the gift of rest, I choose that over anything the world can offer me. The world says, work, 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 work. Put in the extra hours. I do put in the extra hours. But when God offers me rest, I take it. I've learned that this gift of God of rest is worth taking and receiving Sabbath's arrest. And it's, it's our moment to be rebellious. It's our moment to resist. The world says you cannot be successful if you don't follow this schedule. God says I can do more in six days than you can do in seven. So I choose Sabbath for rest. And if you're not rested, people that I find are always exhausted. Step number one is they probably have gone a long time without really honoring the Sabbath. And let me stop just for a second. This is an aside, free of charge. I think most church staff members, and I'm talking primarily to senior pastors because we set the tone for this. Everyone on our pastoral team gets two full days off a week, two 24-hour periods. Now, I, I, I would like for those to be back-to-back -back days, and most of our staff, they do get back-to-back -back days off, 48 hours. In Daniel's case, sometimes he doesn't take off on Fridays, but he takes off Saturday and Mondays because he leads a Friday night congregation. So I understand I'm not legalistic about this, but we do have two full days off. Why? Why do we need two full days off? All right, I'm, I'm about everyone in the room except the senior pastors are about to get so happy with me, all right? <laughs> One day is when I get stuff done. That's not a Sabbath. I, I mean, I have chores. I, got, I mean, I live at a house that needs work. I got yards that need mowing. I got kids that have soccer games. That's great, and that's fun. That's awesome. It's just not Sabbath for me. We need another day when we give to the Lord. 
And again, I'm not legalistic about it. I, some of my best Sabbath days have been on the back of my tractor mowing my property. So I'm not talking about not working. I'm talking about seizing from my primary responsibility, which is pastoring a congregation. And so I, 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 this church that I'm helping in another part of the country, they, they, they are just all exhausted. And I said, well, tell me about your days off. And they said, days, plural. We have Saturday night church. So we get Friday off and half a day on Saturday. I said, well, first of all, your half a day off on Saturday is not a day off when you have to engage in work at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. That's not a day off. Your mind's already at church when you wake up on Saturday morning. So you got one day off a week. Let's be honest, okay? You got one day off. And I know people say, well, we give them Sunday afternoon off. Is that right? Come on. <laughs> like 3 p.m., they can go home. Oh, great, thank you. They were there at 6 a.m., I said, there's a day for getting stuff done. There's a day to give to God. That's why I believe in two full days off. And listen, if the church can't grow with us honoring God's word, then it wasn't God's church to begin with. It's built on our self-sufficiency. Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you in about a decade. I trust, if I'm going to build God's church, then I'm going to follow God's principles and trust that he'll build the church. So Sabbaths are for rest. Number two, vacations are for recreation. And everybody in this room that has small kids knows that a week at Disney is not restful. It's demonic. It is exhausting. Come on. Raise your hand if you've taken your kids to Disney. Come on, I want to see all the fellow martyrs in the room. Thank you. That's exhausting. I came back from that needing rest. It was fun. Vacations are for fun, though. And that's what vacations for. Let's be honest. Just go have fun create memories, to get out of your space, to go do something fun with your family and friends that you have around you. Do you know that there's, there's a, they've now identified this as the work martyr complex, where 40% of Americans do not use all their vacation days now. 40% of Americans right now today are not using all their paid vacation. I bet it's higher with pastors. I've actually had pastors brag to me while I was writing this book, they bragged me, yeah, you know, my elders give me like three weeks of paid vacation, but I hardly ever do that. I'm too busy building the kingdom. I'm like, listen, you're headed for a cliff. Take your vacation. Don't leave a minute on the table. 40% of Americans, they call it the work martyr complex. It's almost like this badge of honor that we wear. Yeah, I'm no slacker. They can take that vacation, but listen, we're in the end times. I got to get busy. Yeah, it's going to come to an end, all right. I actually had this guy, I spoke this message, and this guy looked at me and he goes, Pastor Brady, we're in the last days. We, got, we have to be urgent. We can't take all that time off. I said, we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. I'm telling you, Jesus will return. Whether you're on vacation or not, Jesus is not waiting for you to get back to work before he returns. And he need, I looked at this young guy, he, I said, he needs that passion in your eyes when you're 70. And you won't have it if you keep this pace. Yeah, in your 20s, we got lots of energy in our 20s and 30s. But come back to me when you're 50 and 60 and 70 and tell me that you have kept that pace. You violated God's word, yet you're doing God's will. Jesus gave us, the, Jesus had three years and he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He had three years and he knew he had three years and he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
Vacations are for recreation. Retreats are for reflection. And I consider these kind of times retreat settings for you and your team. Retreats are so important to withdraw from your primary place of responsibility, create a new setting for yourself. Here's what I think about retreats. And I think you should do these once a year, I think. Retreats at least once or twice a year, both, both as a team and as individuals. Retreats tell me where, where am I right now? Like when I go on a retreat, we just did this, a few of us went away for an overnight, and the question we ask is, where are we? Where are we as a church right now? I mean, what's happening? Where are we? I mean, we went away, got away, went to another place. Where are we? How'd we get here? <laughs> but more importantly, where are we headed? And how do we get there in a, in a godly way? Where, how'd we get here? And where are we headed? That's what a retreat does for you. And so those are good questions to ask. How'd we get here? Reflect a bit, right? Retreats are reflection. God, how do we get here? How'd this happen? Now, where are we headed? But here's another thing, okay? So vacations are for, Sabbaths are for rest. Vacations are for recreation. Retreats are a time when we reflect. But I also believe in sabbaticals because I believe sabbaticals are for renewal. I don't think you should be burned out before you go on a sabbatical. I think you go on sabbaticals to keep from burning out. I just got back from an entire summer sabbatical. First one I've ever had in my life, really. I had a sabbatical 10 years ago. My dad died right in the middle of my sabbatical. And that turned out to be a gift from the Lord because I got to spend weeks with my dad and my mom right as he's dying. But that's not a sabbatical. That was a gift from the Lord to be with my dad. So I just took all of June, July, and most of August off. I took 13 weeks off from New Life Church. I didn't preach. I didn't show up in the office. Didn't do anything. It was the best summer of my adult life. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do it again next summer. <laughs> I was, weren't you worried that the church would like run off the ditch? And here's what I, the speech I gave him was, here's the keys to the car. Have fun. Drive it like crazy all summer. But you know, I don't mind if there's a couple of scratches on it. Just keep it out of the ditch and make sure it's full of gas when I get back. Here. <laughs> and it was awesome. They did. They had a great time. Summer was awesome. I realized I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of a hood ornament here. I'm not really that necessary. I mean, I just, it's awesome. What a liberating thing, though, to realize I'm not ne that as necessary as I imagined. That actually makes me more energetic. It makes me, it makes me feel better. Sat Listen, if you've never taken a sabbatical, I, everyone on our staff, every full-time person, no matter what you do on our staff, from administration to hospitality and building and maintenance to pastoral ministry, Every full-time person on our team at New Life gets a sabbatical every seven years. Everybody. It's paid to a paid time off. Paid sabbatical. And it varies in lengths and in scope based on your responsibilities. Every full-time person here. Ask them. Everybody here has gotten a sabbatical. Glenn's gotten a sabbatical. Daniel's gotten a sabbatical. Uh, Matthew's gotten a sabbatical. John's taken a sabbatical. Everybody here has taken sabbaticals. The Perkins, Dan and Amy, I mean, they just took a sabbatical. We all get sabbaticals here. Why? Because we are conditioned, we want to be conditioned by the Holy Spirit to start the race well and to finish the race well. So sabbaticals are how we renew ourselves and keep going. It says, that, then he says, he often withdrew to lonely places. Jesus knew how to unplug. If you look to where Jesus withdrew to, side of a mountain, bottom of a boat, it was a place that he could unplug. You know what that means for us? It means finding a place where your cell phone doesn't work. Getting out, dig, disconnecting yourself. 
making sure that you minimize the distractions. This is what is the beautiful thing about this Jesus rhythm is that Jesus is not trying to lead us like a plow horse. He's trying to condition us to come into his presence, to choose him. Remember what he said in Matthew 11, come to me, choose him. And the way I choose him in our 21st century culture, you know how you choose Jesus? is by not choosing other things, limiting the amount of distractions that can happen. And for most of us in this room, it's digital, that are, we're digitally distracted. I left my phone at home a few months ago and I had a moment of terror like I'd left my kid at Walmart. I mean, it was like, ah, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I felt tense, like, like my shoulders started getting tense and I called Pam on one of those landlines. I, I didn't even know how to use the phone in my office. Now, what do you hit? What code do you have to hit to get out of here? Well, I didn't even know how to dial it. I had to say, how do you dial the phone in here? I didn't, and it's, you pick it up and it's got like a big cord hanging off of it. I didn't, and so I called Pam and I said, Pam, my cell phone's at home. And she could hear the panic in my voice. She goes, Brady, it's fine. All right, it's right here. I see it. But it's, it's there. It's not here. <laughs> it was an awesome day after about an hour of panic. It was like, man, I could do this once or twice a year. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, just think how we have grafted ourselves into the digital world. People camped out for three or four days for an iPhone 6? Come on. Three days? I'm going to wait till the line thins down. All right, so let me ask you a question. Do you have a lonely place that you can meet with Jesus on a regular basis? In Colorado, it's awesome. We have mountains that block phone signals. There's lots of places I can get to quick. The phone signal. I, you know, I love the commercial on TV where the guys are looking for a camping spot and they have their phones up in the air and when all their phones go dead, that's where they camped. That's awesome. I love that commercial. That's where you have, you have to have places that you know, when I get to this place, it's me and Jesus. It's me and the Holy Spirit to a lonely place. No digital distractions. And then it says he went there to pray. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. He went there to have a divine exchange. He went there for a holy conversation. And I'm not trying to simplify prayer down into a few tweetable moments here. I'm trying to tell you that this is how simply I think about it. I am coming to God for the great exchange, for a holy conversation with him, where I am withdrawn to a lonely place where my focus and my attention is primarily on him, all of it, all that I can muster, all that I can put toward him, I'm there to lean in, to refill, to recharge, to have a conversation, to have him speak to me, to open my heart. You know, John said that so beautifully. He said he came into that conference with no on his heart. Prayer is when you come in with yes on your heart. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Holy Spirit. Yes. I come into the atmosphere. I come with a, this reverence. Yes, Jesus. He draws near to me as I draw near to him. This is what prayer does. Now look in your Bibles. For those of you who have the old school Bible, like a, a printed Bible, look at, look at verse, look, look at Luke chapter five, okay? Most of you in your Bibles have a separation, like a paragraph separation between verse 16 and verse 17. Is there like a separation there, like a new heading, new separation, you see that? Some of you may not, but a lot of you do. Even digitally, you'll see a separation between verse 16 and verse 17, as if Luke, when he was writing the story, meant for there to be a great transition. But I think that's a mistake as a Bible. Those who organize the scriptures, I think, made a mistake here. 
Come on, show you something, all right? Verse 15 says that Jesus came before great crowds of people that had a need for healing in their lives. Verse 16 says, he often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And then there's verse 17. Let me read it to you, okay? Read, look at verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. Now I know a moment ago when I said to you, take a sabbatical so that you don't burn out. I know what you thought. If I leave, the crowds will leave. You know, our attendance didn't suffer at all this summer, at all. We didn't, it, because we put our trust in the Lord for church growth here. This is not a church growth conference. This is a leadership growing, pastoral growth conference. You can go to some other places and tell you how to put numbers in your building. I'm trying to tell you how to put wind in your cells, bomb on you, the power of God in you, okay? This is what this conference is about this year. And I, I'm pro-church growth. I'd rather a church be growing than declining, all right? I mean, I'm, so I'm for it, not against it. But I want you to see this very clearly. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. Crowds of people, demands on their lives, healing, Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He comes back in verse 17, and guess who's waiting for him in verse 17? The demands of ministry are there again. The demands of ministry are always going to be in front of you. There will always be people in front of you that have a legitimate reason for you to minister to them. If you're going to get into the vocational call of pastor, there will always be people in front of you that need help, and we should help them, but not at the expense of our long-term health. We have to redefine emergency. Jesus knew that in order for him to sustain himself, and he was more than just for himself, he was modeling something for us, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When he comes back, there are still demands in front of him. But something's different in verse 17 than Luke mentioned in verse 15. Now look at this with me, okay? And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now I don't think, I'm not trying to read something into the scriptures that aren't there, okay? So I'm not. But in, Luke, in verse 15, Luke doesn't mention that Jesus laid hands on any of those people and healed them. Is that just an omission on his part? Maybe so, okay? But I, I believe the scriptures are continuously articulate. And they are able to speak to us where we are as leaders. That Jesus, the Holy Spirit will use the written scriptures to speak to us in moments where we are, the place where we're standing. Verse 15, crowds of people that needed healing. And Luke does not mention that Jesus laid hands or prayed for any of them. But in verse 16, he withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Verse 17, he comes back. There's a demanding group of people in front of him who need healing. And it says, but this time something was different. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Luke mentions it in verse 17, but he doesn't mention it in verse 15. Now I'm going to give you one sentence that's going to make this entire conference hopefully helpful for you, okay? I'm going to give you one sentence. Because a lot of you came here, the, the word the Lord gave me for this three days, he said, Brady, my shepherds are so discouraged right now. And believe me, I know what it means to be discouraged. I know what that feels like. I'm not discouraged right now. I'm very encouraged. 
but we went through the valley of the shadow of death here. I know what it feels like to get up in the morning just feeling empty and dark and feeling like nothing's going to ever have momentum again. The church is in decline. Giving is down. Attendance is down. People are mad at me. People are blogging about me. People are, ugh. I know all that. But I also know what it feels like for the wind of the Holy Spirit to come into those moments and encourage you. So what I'm about to tell you, okay, it can help you. It helped me. It changed my life. All right, one sentence, all right? I'm going to read it to you. When God is present in our rest, he becomes more present in our work. I want you to see this. Jesus had a crowd of demanding people in front of him, and then he withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He comes back in front of the same group of people, and the power of God was present. The reason I believe... And I get asked this question. It's one of the big questions I get asked all the time from leaders around the world. Why aren't more people being healed? Or why aren't we seeing more of the power of God? I'll tell you why. I think the American culture has sapped us of the ability to receive God's power. And we can't give away what we do not possess. I wrote this book as a way to help you, help myself get back to a healthy rhythm so that I can withdraw from Jesus and my cup is filled up so that when I get back in front of that same group of people who had the same needs as when I left them, they needed healing when I left, they'll need healing when I come back, but something powerful happens in between when I withdraw and I allow God to fill me. Now I have something to give away. And the American church has taught people that God works on a microwave mentality. He does not. You can't hit the 30-second button and get popcorn out. Jesus was into marinating, not microwaving. And if you're going to have something to give away, you've got to soak. You've got to allow God to fill your cup. You've got you to sit still. It takes faith to sit still. It, we have to die to this, this temptation to be self-sufficient so that we can be Christ-sufficient. And the sufficiency of Christ is, requires us to sit still and to come like this with our hands open as children and to receive something. And when we receive it in our rest, then he becomes more powerful in our work. You can't trade one for the other. You can't trade great works for no rest. You can't trade all rest for no work. It's a rhythm that I'm trying to show you, a Jesus rhythm. Work hard, rest well. Work hard, rest well. Work hard, rest well. That's the Jesus rhythm. And I'm trying like crazy. I'm going to die trying to live that life with you, okay? Let's pray together. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? We're going to have the longest amount of awkward silence that many of you have had for a long time. All right? And this can be an awkward moment or a holy moment for you. I want you to just shut off your, I know you're reading the Bibles. Most, hopefully you're not responding to Facebook posts, but I think you're probably reading the Bible with all your digital out there. I can see a glow coming from the group. Can we just shut off all those right now and just turn it over? Just flip it over. You don't have to shut up. Just flip it over for a moment. Turn everything over. And would you, at the beginning of this conference, we have three days together, and they're going to be great. We've got lots of great things that are going to happen. We're going to start this time receiving and welcoming God into this place. Of right. You're here. You're away from your church. That's great. This is so good that you came. 
So we're going to now welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in this moment. Don't be afraid of the quiet. Don't be terrified of solitude. Don't let busyness become your business. I want you to choose contemplation over chaos. And it's going to be difficult. It's really difficult to choose contemplation over chaos. But you make that choice right now. And we're going to sit for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Fill us. Father, I thank you so much for these precious men and women who I serve alongside to build your kingdom on the earth. And Father, we come to you today as children, Lord, to receive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So we recognize our poverty. We recognize our lack today. But we come to the fountain that never runs dry. Lord, if we drink from your fountain, we will never thirst again. If we drink from your wells that never run dry, we will never thirst again. Father, that was your promise to us. So as we sit in this place today, as we sit in this gathering of leaders, Father, I pray for the infilling work of the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of Jesus in our lives. I feel like the Lord says, so you've been breathing out, now breathe in. You've been exhaling, giving, giving, now it's time to breathe in, to receive, to welcome. Or some of you came this week and you're needing, you're needing new wineskins because the Lord wants to give you new wine. He wants to pour something fresh and new into your life. But the old wineskins cannot receive new wine. And I want to confirm, I felt like I said that, you even used that passage of scripture to confirm for many of you what you came here hoping to hear from the Lord. Lord, give me permission to change. So listen very carefully. The Lord gives you permission to change something that has worked well in the past but will not serve you well in the future. That's the point Jesus was making. It has served you well in the past. There's nothing wrong with the old wineskins. They served you well. But he comes today to give you permission to embrace something new and different so that he can pour something fresh into you. But as long as you hold on to that old way of doing things, he can't pour something new into your life. And so you've come here today needing that as confirmation. And I'm telling you, it's okay to lay it down and to honor it, to remember it. Nothing wrong with it. It was a beautiful season of time in your life where God used that wineskin to contain his presence in your life. 
But now a new wineskin is here and he wants to pour something fresh into your life. But it's going to require you to lay it down, to honor it, speak well of it, remember it. But to, new, to live in a new reality. I don't know who that's for, but I think it's for m- more people than I can think of, imagine right now. I received that for myself. Father, we, we come today thanking you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you're near to us as leaders. And I pray, Lord, right now against any discouragement. Lord, the trick of the enemy is to push us toward pride or toward depression. And I, I pray now that you would bring us to a humble middle, a place where we can trust you, where we can be confident. But Lord, that we're are humbly broken before you. Lord, I pray you'd encourage my brothers and my sisters. Lord, let us not become weary in well-doing. Father, I pray you'd give us rest so we can keep doing good. stand this morning we're going to just sing a song I um, I know we're past our schedule but the title of this conference is Rhythm and I don't really care about the schedule that much and um, I want us to meet with the Lord right so if you have to go to the restroom you're not offending me because I'm, I'm 47 years old I understand bladder so if you need to go, go <laughs> but I want us to just take a moment receive Come on, let's welcome God into our lives. You came here today parched and dry, and the Lord has come to pour it out on you. Let's just receive it from the Lord. And then after that, after we worship for what we think is a good time, we're going to move into more worship afterwards, okay? So it's going to be three days of worship put together, all right? Father, we just come and welcome you right now. We welcome your presence in our lives. We need it. We're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name. Worship together.